Hello, it's Nick Brown, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease and Childhood. Welcome, as always, to Atoms. We'll start with two global health pieces. The first deals with an issue about which you may not be completely aware. In a hard-hitting salvo, Russell and his colleagues argue that recent changes to charging regulations in the NHS both undermine child health and represent a departure from the founding principles of the organisation. The new rules effectively restrict access to care to an estimated 120,000 child migrants in the UK, classified as, in my inverted commas, undocumented, even though many are of second generation. The changes include a charge of 150% of the NHS tariff for those unable to prove a regular status, and sharing a personal data with a home office if payments are not addressed, with the potential for deportation for failure of payment. In short, the rules contravene the tenet of universal health coverage, a cornerstone of the Sustainable Development Goals, the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health and other medical colleges. How many of you are actually aware of this change? How many children might you have seen in today's clinic with this threat hanging over them? Changing tack, we'll look at growth charts. The new intergrowth charts are based on the philosophy that basing postnatal growth on standard charts, which were derived by serial cross-sectional measurements and aimed to replicate the much faster in utero growth, is unrealistic. The intergrowth charts then represent a new, very different way of thinking, and it's more liberal and allows babies to grow at slower rates, potentially mitigating the future metabolic risks inherent in rapid, inverted commas again, catch-up growth, a term that is rather misused. The charts were based on longitudinal ex-utero growth in well-breastfed preterm babies. Villar and colleagues described the philosophical differences between the intergrowth and traditional charts and the methodologies behind its design, all of which are in keeping with the WHO multi-centre growth reference study approaches. It is untenable that the two methods will ever be compared directly in a randomised trial, but the observational data collected over the next few years on cardiovascular markers, morbidity and mortality will tell us much more about the risk-benefit equation we're still struggling to decode. This issue is very strong on adolescent health. There are a number of wide-ranging pieces in this month's section. For example, COSTA addresses patterns of prescription use in Dutch teenagers, Knight and colleagues, look at chronic fatigue syndrome epidemiology in Australia, and Kramer describes the essential information gathering steps as part of the mental health assessment after an overdose. We'll look, though, in more detail at a paper by Galava Williams on county lines. I'm not easily shocked, but found this piece on the subculture known officially by the Home Office as county lines and unofficially by a number of other euphemisms very disturbing. The basic premise is that mobile phone lines are used by gangs to infiltrate provincial towns, likely to yield profitable drug-related business. Once settled, they promote, amongst other drugs, heroin and crack cocaine through social media and a system that essentially functions on child, criminal and sexual exploitation and human trafficking. Typically, gangs take over the homes of vulnerable adults, promise drugs in exchange for letting them use the premises, start a relationship with them, or use force or coercion to secure their base. Children entangled in these organisations might show unusual signs or behaviours, perhaps an increase in call rates, unexplained injuries or avert sexualisation, but because of fear of reprisal would be reluctant to make any revelations about their persecutors. Transgender young people and fertility. 
Though puberty blocking treatment in young people with gender dysphoria, in other words, gonadotrophin analogues, is common, the effects on fertility, either through natural conception or gamete harvesting, are still unclear. Little is also known about the wishes of dysphoric young people with regards to future children, a deficit Kiniara and colleagues sought to address. The user questionnaire, previously used to evaluate the same issues in children receiving treatment for cancer, to evaluate views on health and fertility in a group of 79 patients at the Toronto Children's Hospital. They found that the current life priority for young people of eight options was good health, and the least important was having children. Anticipated life priorities 10 years from the time of asking were ranked similarly. Parents' rankings parallel the young people's responses, though ranked having children as a higher priority in 10 years for young people assigned female at birth compared to those assigned male at birth. The majority wanted to be a parent in the future, most did not envision having a biological child and most were open to adoption. There was no control group though through which to determine the effect size of the dysphoria but one hopes that this group was followed for the next 15 to 20 years in order to capture the social and biological outcomes of most interest. We'll end with a paper looking at distress during airway sampling. Few stimuli are as unpleasant as pharyngeal sampling, yet it remains one of the cornerstones on which treatment for exacerbations in cystic fibrosis is based. There are two techniques in wide use, the cough swab and nasopharyngeal suctioning. Assuming they are of equal bacteriological yield, the better test then is that that causes less distress. And Dumit and colleagues address this sparsely researched area in children attending the Sydney Children's Hospital Respiratory Service. They used the validated distress score, the Groningen scale, and heart rate, and tested both techniques in all children, randomly assigning the order in which they were undertaken. Interator reliability was good, and the scores for the cough swab unequivocally lower. Given that this is a common procedure and one that continues lifelong, it's hard to think my practice should not switch entirely to the much less unpalatable swab. A thought which makes my paper my editor's choice for the month. Thanks, as always, for listening. Be sure you check out more on the website adc.bmj.com. See you all next month. Thank you.